0: Tonight we're going to be looking at the last message I'm going to preach on the subject of His name is faithful. Uh, His name is faithful. Let's all stand together at this time as we read God's Word together. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man, but God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. And may God bless the reading of his word tonight. Is my prayer. You may be seated. Remember we started out in Revelation 19 and 11. Uh, uh, describing our Savior, lo- the Lord Jesus. By the concept that his very name is faithful. And I saw heaven open and behold the white horse. And he that sat upon him was called... Faithful and true. Faithful and true. And today's message, we see that same concept very clearly presented. God is faithful. God is faithful. And that concept then is set against the dark backdrop of our temptations. Our temptations. God is faithful, who will not suffer, permit, or allow us to be tempted beyond that which we are able but he will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it now before we go on to talk more about that passage about how God is faithful in the midst of our temptations i thought it would do us good to consider a definitive definition of temptations given to us biblically in James chapter 1 in verse 12, uh, got a lot of Bible study going on in this church right now in the book of James. So this will be review for most of you. Uh, verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say, say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Uh, James reminds us then that uh, temptation itself is not a sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus, remember, was tempted, and the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us, Hebrews chapter 4, that he was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. Uh, Sometimes when you have a few minutes, maybe driving to Little Rock, and you want something to think about as you're very carefully watching traffic, I want you to think about that simple expression, all points, all points. He was in all points tempted like as we are. Jesus endured temptation. And James tells us right after the bat, he is talking about those who endure temptation. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. So James is describing a time when temptation was face down. Yes, we, we felt it. We saw it. We heard it. We were tempted. But we stood our ground. And in such a case, when temptation tested us then, we were found to be approved. We were approved. We see this play out in Scripture. Joseph was tempted in his encounter with the wife of Potiphar. But long before that had happened, Joseph had already made a decision and that decision was that he had purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. That decision had come long before then. In fact, it went all the way to the first uh, time, that the first few weeks apparently, that he came to Babylon or maybe even right off the bat. So that Daniel then, or not Babylon, but Daniel was there in Egypt and he had purposed, and Joseph had purposed in his heart that he would not uh, defile himself and he didn't. Joseph made up his mind to be faithful to God. That commitment was tested and it stood the test. Kind of got that confused with Daniel, which was my next example. And Daniel, Daniel went to Babylon, and he made a similar decision that he would not defile himself. And that decision was put to the test. But it was found to be solid. He'd made a commitment. It was tempted but he stood the test, he endured. And therefore he was approved. David had a similar encounter, or had an encounter that similar to what uh, Joseph had with Bathsheba, not exactly the same, but a similar encounter with Joseph. His commitment to God was at that moment weighed in the balance and found wanting. It might be accurate for us to say tonight that uh, David had a weakness that he was not aware of. He thought he was stronger. He thought his love for God was stronger. His devotion to God was stronger than it turned out to be. And temptation then brought him to that time where he gave in with disastrous consequences. And so James talks about enduring temptation and so it's not a sin to, uh, to be tempted and it is in fact considered to be blessed when we endure temptation and are found approved. Uh, I have never over the course of my life ever resisted sin and regretted it. But that's not the case when we give in, is it? James warns us then about the source of temptation. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Anytime we do something that God tells us not to do, it's a sin. It doesn't matter whether it's some kind of sexual immorality or drunkenness or something like that. Or whether it is some of the more acceptable sins like gossip or slander or murmuring. Anytime we do something that God tells us not to do, it's a sin. Just pure and simple. So when it violates God's word, then we've sinned, and God is not in that at all. No matter how we might justify it ourselves, it's all about our own desire, our own ambitions, our own wants, our own lusts, our own jealousies. Whatever it is that's the motive of it, it is something. It's interesting, James used the word enticed, which is a word a fisherman or trapper would love because it means to catch By means of bait. Out of our own heart then comes that big, fat, juicy night crawler. That completely covers the hook that is hidden on the inside of it. And once that lust then lodges in our hearts, it brings forth sin. And like any good hook, (laughs) it leads to a filet board and a baptism in hot oil. That's uh, uh. You got uh, enticed. You're enticed by bait. Looks good, but the end of it is death. And James finished his discussion by giving that solemn warning. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Being tempted... And if, especially if it leads to sin, is not something that we can blame on the Spirit of God. We're not being led by the Spirit of God. We're not walking in the Spirit. We're not doing the will of God. And when we settle down with sin, it's a killer. Some of you tonight may be struggling with your faith. You may even be said to be experiencing a crisis of your faith. Oftentimes, we are living out the reality that the Bible warns us about when it said, abstain from fleshly lust, which war... Against the soul. If, if our giving in to lust doesn't do anything else to us, it wars against our soul. Think about it. Think about it. It wars against our spiritual strength. So James gives us a lot of information about the nature of temptation itself. And with that under our belt, sin, let's remind ourselves of our text tonight. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, I've told you this before, but I'm going to say it again tonight. It doesn't matter how many times we say it. It doesn't make it true. Well, God won't put more on you than you can bear. We say that all the time. That is not what this passage says. We think it is rooted in this passage, but it's not. When the Bible says that God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, that is true because of the next statement that he makes. Because God, our faithful God, will with the temptation, no matter what it is, make a way to escape. And it's not that God doesn't put more on us than we can bear or that we are able to bear. In fact, it is often more than we can bear. (laughs) But the good news is, is that God knows that we can't handle this on our own. And so there is the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to enable us and to show us a way out. We cannot blame it on God. We cannot even say, well, I couldn't help myself because God makes a way to escape. We can't say that God made me this way. No, that's not what this is about. James makes it very clear that we are tempted primarily from within, although temptation does occasionally come from without, but primarily it is from within. Paul tells us it is common to man and then that God is faithful to us in the midst of our temptation. Now, I've mentioned Joseph and Daniel and David, but I want to spend a few moments tonight discussing a New Testament example. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Simon Peter says this, "'Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith.'" knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. That's a word of personal testimony from Simon Peter. I mention it in this morning's message, but I mention it again to you tonight in Luke chapter 22. Jesus told Simon Peter, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Think about that when Simon Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And then Jesus said that I prayed for you so that your faith wouldn't fail. What did Simon Peter say? Whom resist steadfast in the faith. You think he was remembering what happened to him? You think he was remembering what Jesus said? I think he was. You see, Jesus promised that the testing would come, but he also promised before that began that... His prayerful intercession had already begun. So that we see Paul's promise in our text tonight playing out in Simon Peter. God is faithful. He will not permit you to be tempted above that which you are able. But he will with the temptation also make a way of escape. But you think, well, uh, Simon Peter failed. Yes, he did. But Jesus prayed for him that his faith not fail... And his faith did not fail. Now, to put that in a practical way for us tonight, I could say this. I fail. I fail. That would be a catastrophe if my faith were in myself. Well, I believed in myself, and I failed myself. (laughs) I let myself down. Now, that would be a catastrophe. But since my faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, since my faith is in Jesus Christ, then uh, my failure is, is not a threat to my faith. My faith is in Him. And I believe that God is able to deliver. And He, in fact, did deliver But Peter warns us, the adversary adversary is always vigilant. He's always on the prowl. He's always looking for some selfish ambition. And that was what was going on in their life. And he eats that up. Nothing puts us in the devil's wheelhouse any more than prideful, selfish ambition. He loves it. He loves it. He loves it. He feasts on it. He feeds it. Notice Simon Peter didn't say he was going to destroy him, but to devour him. Interesting choice of words. Seeking whom he may devour. That prideful ambition, the devil loves it. Why? What was the first sin ever committed? Pride. Who committed it? Satan did. I will ascend the Mount of God. I'll be like the Most High. It was pride. He was lifted up with pride. Satan loves it. He loves it when we are caught up with pride. And that was what was going on with Simon Peter. And so he feasts on us. And just like anybody, when he feeds, he gets stronger. That ravenous beast gets stronger. He feeds on selfish ambition. No wonder then Simon Peter calls us to resist. So does James. James chapter 4 and verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. What a great promise that is. But that's not the only promise we see in this text. In this passage, First Peter gives us a really mouthful of a promise. In First Peter 5 and 10. But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, st- establish, strengthen, and settle you. Now, you'll notice, of course, in the passage that the first thing is the suffering. And that suffering often comes along with the temptation and the struggle that it brings with it. I would just soon skip this one tonight, but Simon Peter knew it well. We think about the struggle that lasted for days as he languished in his failure. How that he failed Jesus at that crucial, crucial moment. Until Jesus came to him and renewed his ministry and promised that he would be faithful unto his death. But think about that languishing and suffering that he endured for that while. But then after that, after that, then the suffering comes first. But then comes the sanctifying. And he says that it will, he will make you perfect. He'll sanctify you. The idea is of one of completion, of wholeness, or repairing something so that it is right again. Simon Peter was a net fisherman. Jesus called him when he was repairing his net. And he called him again. <laughs> he renewed that calling. Even though he had failed, Jesus did that for him. He repaired his net. After all, Jesus had promised, I'll make you to become what? Fishers of men. Yeah. Jesus put him back in business. God has a way of doing that, of sanctifying us, of making us whole. Then we are established, established. Now, the rainbow that we see is a thing of beauty. It occurs only when the sun is at the right angle. That's why that uh, rainbows are only found in the morning and in the evening. uh, Because the sun has to be at just the right angle for us to see a rainbow. It's a thing of beauty. beauty. Uh, But for all of its promise and for all of its beauty, uh, the rainbow is but for a moment. It is painted, after all, on the clouds. It's only for a moment. But by contrast, God establishes us so that we have the opportunity of being involved in eternal pursuits and decisions and commitments that actually last. And carry with it that promise of eternity. Not something here one moment and gone the next, but established. Established. So after we have suffered for a while, uh, Jesus can sanctify us. And he also establishes us so that we have the strength to to stay, to stay with it, to keep going. We're strengthened. Uh, strength is a strength that is born of faith. The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 11, 33, Who through faith subdued kingdoms... Wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in flight. Turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Uh, This is a strength. We are strengthened and that strength is born of our faith. Then lastly, he says, we are settled. We're settled. This is a very foundational word. It refers to how the ground must Settle uh, before it can be suitable for building. There is so much instability in our world today. and, And sadly, there's so much instability among God's own people. But God wants us settled. Settled. Not running from fad to spiritual fad. Not bouncing from one place to another place. God wants us settled. Settled. And we can be. So that even though there might be a time where we suffer, and often suffer because we have given in to some temptation, yet Jesus will sanctify us, establish us, strengthen us, and settle us once we've gone through it. No wonder James would tell us about the blessing of enduring temptations. I want to wrap things up tonight then with this series and with this message by a few observations. Reminding you, first of all, that God is faithful even in our temptations. And yes, even when we give in and even when we fail, God is still faithful. But we must be warned that our lust and prideful ambition feeds the beast. He is ravenously hungry for it. And he searches for it like any, anyone or any any prey type animal he is searching for something to feed on and what he feeds on is pride and selfish ambition he is watching what we do he is watching what we give into the devil is not omniscient like God is but he's a very good observer your adversary in mind the devil walks about watching seeking whom he may devour But, the Bible tells us plainly, resist the devil and he will run from you. Isn't that a great promise for us tonight? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But often our worst battles with our faith are not with what God does, but what He doesn't do. Some of our biggest questions that arise in our hearts in life is why didn't God? Why, why didn't God deliver me when I asked Him to? Why didn't God keep me from this? Why didn't God do this? Why didn't God do that? We struggle, I think, more often, especially in the things that lead to a crisis in our faith we struggle more often with what God doesn't do than with what God does do. If we'll think about it a moment tonight, I think we can see that in the story of Simon Peter's denial. We often think, and rightly so, about what the Bible puts on prominent display, how that Simon Peter, exactly as Jesus said he would, denied Jesus 3 times before the rooster crowed 3 times but if we'd back up a little bit we'd see something playing out you see the the, the disciples they were with Jesus all the time and they saw him do incredible miracles they did They saw him feed the multitudes, they saw him heal the sick, they saw him raise the dead, walk on water, turn water into wine. They saw Jesus do incredible miracles and the only possible explanation for that was exactly what Simon Peter boldly declared. When Jesus asked him, who do men say that I am? And he said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the only conclusion that fits all the evidence. They had seen it. They knew who they were dealing with. This was the Messiah, the Son of God. When Jesus was going into Jerusalem, they fully expected him to bring victory they did there's no question about it i mean after all they were arguing about what their role was going to be <laughs> uh when when we get there they fully expected it after looking at all the miracles that jesus did seeing all the incredible things that he had done i mean they thought that thought about the temple guard for example and jesus was talking about well the, i'm going to go to jerusalem and, and and be killed and remember what simon peter said no this can't happen No, that's just a little old measly temple guard. They can't take you. We know what you can do. We know what you're capable of. The Romans have got a couple of garrisons, but what is that to the Messiah of Israel, the Son of the Living God? I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going at its most populated time. They're going to declare me to be the king. (laughs) And all of that happened. Right up to the time they arrested him, they had their swords. They were ready to fight. I believe Jesus or Simon Peter meant every word of it when he said, "Lord, I, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to go." You know what's interesting? When that first accuser came to him and said, "Hey, you are you're a Galilean. You're you're with Jesus." And Simon Peter said, I don't know him. I can't say it conclusively tonight, but it's entirely possible that Simon Peter was just being characteristically frank. I thought I knew him. I I, (laughs) I thought I did. But now I'm not sure I know him at all. The one thing I can say was that Simon Peter was ready for Armageddon. That's obvious. But he wasn't ready for Golgotha. He was ready for Jesus to usher in Armageddon, overthrow the Roman garrisons, liberate, set up his kingdom on the spot. They were ready for that. But they weren't ready for Golgotha. You see, some of our... Biggest failures come about, not because of what God does, but because of what God doesn't do, because God operates in a way that's different than what we expect. Peter would learn, and he would live his life Then teaching others. He would learn that God is faithful even when he doesn't do what we expect him to do even when He doesn't do what we want Him to do, God is still faithful. In this case, God had a remarkable plan, and He operated that plan. And I might say tonight, He operated it to perfection. Because our God is faithful. And I'll also tell you this. There's a lot of things, folk, that we're not going to understand. And because we don't understand them, We can't explain them. But one day, these feet or something like them (laughs) are going to walk around on streets paved with gold. And then, yes, we'll understand. Until then, it is our faith whom resist steadfast in the faith. Believing that yes, God is faithful. Who will not suffer us to be tempted beyond that which we are able. But will, with the temptation, also make a means of escape. That we might be able to bear it. God is faithful. Let's stand together, please.